All right. Good morning. Happy second ACL weekend. Is, uh, real quick, is Sir Paul McCartney in the room? Okay. Dang it. It wasn't last service either. I had a dream last night that he was here. I didn't get to see him play, but he came to church um, to see what the fuss was all about. So, but it was just a dream. Uh, First, before I get going, I want to thank Todd Metter for leading worship this morning. And Mandy as well. Um, So Todd is the worship pastor at the Church at East in East Austin, which was once a campus of Austin New Church, then became a church plant, and now they're a thriving community over there on the east side. And Todd is also managing the 04 Center. Um, So all the events and stuff that are taking place, Trey's very excited about it. Uh, (laughs) But thanks for for being here this morning and for uh, making it to where I didn't have to also lead worship. Um, and I was, I was actually remembering between services, this is only the second time I've ever sat there while worship was happening in eight years, eight and a half years here. So, yeah, yeah, so anyways, it was kind of cool. I don't, I don't know how to be one of you guys. I need to learn. Um, but I want to welcome you to Austin New Church. We're so glad you're here. And I don't know what brought you here this morning, but at some point, each and every one of you made a conscious decision to be here. And that's a beautiful thing. We're all here for different reasons. We're sitting and living in different circumstances. You may be suffering. You may be confused. You may be overflowing with joy and fulfillment, like Trey, because his daughter's getting married this week. Um, You may be apathetic. Or you may be a glass case of emotions, but you're here, and we get to share this experience together, and the more experiences we share, the more we know one another, and the more we know one another, the more we can learn to love one another. And as we move in close, our differences are not quite as divisive as they seem from far away. We've talked about this in several different ways over the last several weeks, so I just want to thank you for simply being here. Um... I'm going to start a little different than I started the last service, so see what happens here. That's the the benefit of two services is um, I can either improve upon last service or I might make it worse, but we'll see. But I'm going to, we're going to start with the scripture. That's a good way to start, right? So we're going to read from John 13, and I'm going to set the stage a little bit. So we have um, Jesus and his disciples. We're kind of in the last 24 hours of Jesus's earthly ministry at this point, and he's having a meal with his disciples, and uh, so in that situation, the, the way they're going to be eating a meal, the table's going to be really low to the ground, and they're going to be reclined, so I'm going to read the scripture from that posture, so you may or may not be able to see me, but they're going to be like this on their left elbow, and here we go. John 13, starting in verse 1, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, 
he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them and with the towel that was tied around him. So he came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will know. You will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, then you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said you are not all clean. When Jesus had washed their feet, he put back on his robe, and he reclined again. Let's remember here, we've we've just found out that He's in the presence of the person who's going to betray him. Um, He's in the presence of of what we would call an enemy. And this is the posture that he takes. He reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. This is where Jesus quotes the Old Testament in Psalm 41.9. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. Uh, What the psalm actually says is, even my friend, even a man of my peace, in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread has raised his heel against me. So in, in that society, to, to eat with someone is one of the most intimate acts you can do, but to raise your heel against someone is complete disrespect. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I assure you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. All right, so there's a lot going on here in this, in this scripture. Um, but as I, as I was processing this and trying to figure out what, what do I need to pull out of this, I was also on kind of a, a remarkable journey uh, at the same time. So I, I was on a 15-day trip uh, for Help One Now. Uh, many of you know I work for a nonprofit called Help One Now, and we are working to help families pull themselves out of extreme poverty. Uh, so we were on a trip to Ethiopia with a team visiting families who've been through our empowerment program and just hearing these incredible stories of transformation in their lives and seeing this ripple effect in communities that, that um, is happening because of this work. And then we went from Ethiopia to Israel. So we've been trying to figure out for a long time how can we do the work that we do in the Middle East in a place that's kind of in such disarray with war, with, with just thousand-year-old disputes going on. How can we imp- work with local leaders to empower families in that context? Refugees, that sort of stuff. So we finally had found a partner who we think we can work with throughout the Middle East, and they're based in Jordan. So we were in Ethiopia, going to go to Jordan, so we thought we might as well go to Israel in between, right? And we have some close friends who live there in Jerusalem, so we got to spend a few days uh, being tourists in Jerusalem. And so while I'm reading the scripture about, 
you know, this, this last meal with his disciples and Jesus washing his disciples' feet, I'm in the place where these things are happening. And I didn't expect it to affect me that much, but it really did. And so, you know, we got to see where Jesus came into the city a few weeks before his crucifixion. We got to look over the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed for each one of us until sweat came out of his pores. Uh, we, we saw where the trial took place. We saw where Jesus would have been beaten. We walked the road where he would have carried his cross. And we saw the place of crucifixion and, and the place of burial and resurrection. <clears throat> and it was just really powerful to be there. But at the same time you're experiencing these amazing things, you're also seeing the, the tension and the fallenness and the brokenness of humanity because even the very place where Jesus was crucified and buried, there's a, there's a big church built on top of it. And every religion, it seems, has their claim to it and has their disputes about it. Um, you know, we, we visited the Wailing Wall where, where the Jews are praying for all of this to go away and for them to be able to have uh, their presence in the temple again. And, and everyone seems to be against everyone there. And then the next, the next day, we left Israel and went about, you know, 10 kilometers down the road into Palestine, Palestinian territory. Um, they're kind of a, a, a stateless people. Um, I know in America, we're very pro-Israel, but the fact is there's real people on both sides. And we went into the West Bank in Bethlehem and met with some incredible Palestinian Christian leaders who blew my mind with, with how wise they are, how they are able to deal with two sides of a horrible equation, and they deal with both sides with grace and mercy and peace. We, the next day we went up through Galilee. We saw the Sea of Galilee. We saw these places where Jesus has performed all these miracles. And we went to Capernaum, and, and then we were able to cross the border over into Jordan. And once we get into Jordan, it's kind of a whole new ball game at that point. So Jordan is a Muslim country, but they have allowed in per capita possibly more refugees than any other country. So the, the population of Jordan is 9 million people, and they have 3 million refugees. So that would be the equivalent of us having about 120 million refugees that we let into our country in the, in the span of five years. Um, so these refugees are from Syria, from Iraq, from, some from Egypt, some from Lebanon. Uh, the, Jordan is kind of right in the middle of a mess over there. And, and people have found safe haven there in this Muslim country. Uh, and we were going there to meet with uh, some Christian leaders who were trying to serve Iraqi refugees, Syrian refugees, Jordanian Muslims, uh, Christians who have converted and are now being hunted by their families. You know, their cousins are actually like trying to find them and kill them. Um, and so that's kind of the, the story that we stepped into. And in the midst of this, we're meeting with these leaders who are trying to, uh, to love and serve everyone and be these, these peacemakers in this situation. It was a beautiful, beautiful, eye-opening experience. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't share this in the first service because it didn't really dawn on me until Jason, he's going to read a prayer later from, uh, from a refugee here uh, in the States. 
And we, we had a chance to meet with eight different families. Um, these folks we were meeting with are serving about 5,000 refugee families. But we sat in the apartments of eight different refugee families, um, most from Syria, some from Iraq. And we just went. We, we brought, you know, a basket of maybe four or five days worth of food supplies with us so that we weren't coming empty-handed, but we got a chance to sit and just hear their stories and see their tears. It, I'm, used to, I'm used to working in places of extreme poverty, but this was extreme grief. This was a different ballgame. Um, and it was, it was beautiful and tragic at the same time. And, but, you know, we might be sitting with a Muslim family, and by the end... They're, they're thanking us for just for letting them share their story, and then we're praying together. And it is, it's a beautiful time. It's beautiful to see this, this ministry of reconciliation happening in, in Jordan. And um, so that's the, that's the mindset and the, and the actual physical situation that I'm in while I'm studying the Scripture and, and studying this Savior who, who takes a reclining posture in the presence of his enemies. So, a couple of significant things are going on here uh, as Jesus washes feet. First of all, just from a very practical standpoint, some of you may be like my wife who has very pretty, nice-smelling, beautiful feet, but I have a feeling most of you are like me. Uh, My wife says I have hobbit feet. Um, They're funny-shaped. They're kind of hairy. They smell. Anybody? Anybody? Trey? No? No? I don't know why I assume that, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, I'm guessing that the, the, the disciples' feet were a little bit more like hobbit feet than my wife's feet, and um, so they're they're sitting at this meal and they're sitting like I like I showed you, right? So feet are all up in the table and food, right? Um, and usually a servant would wash people's feet in this situation, and for whatever reason we don't know, it, it didn't happen. And so their teacher, their rabbi, who is also the son of God, the king of kings, the creator and sustainer of life, gets up from the table and he shows us how we are to treat one another, okay? So several weeks back, Jen spoke about the story of the prodigal son. And she said, you know, this story really, it, it, um, it captures the gospel in its entirety, right? There's no better example of the gospel than the story of the prodigal son. And I think that there's no better example uh, that Jesus gives us of the posture we're to have towards one another than when he washes the disciples' feet. So he kind of steps down from a place of authority and, and washes their feet. Now, probably any one of the disciples would have been willing to wash Jesus' feet as, you know, an act of respect and service, but they weren't going to wash each other's feet. Um, in fact, the Gospel of Luke tells us that as they're walking into this dinner, they're having an argument about who's the best. Okay, so they're, they're having this, this dispute about who Jesus likes the most and who's the best disciple, right? And, and then what happens? But their, their rabbi stands up and washes all of their feet. And then, to take it a step further, he washes the feet of Judas, Right? And, and he knows that Judas is going to betray him. Now, we can get into a whole mess of, you know, is that, 
something that had to happen and is that the sovereignty of God and Judas had no choice and we're not going to get into that. The, the, the point here is that Jesus is in the presence of someone who is going to betray him and he doesn't treat them any differently than the, than the people who are loving him and respecting him, right? Um, and, and the reality is all the disciples are about to deny him, right? When, when the, when the you-know-what hits the fan in a little bit. So, um, see, the difference between us, Trey, is that you would have just said it. <laughs> I listened to last week. <laughs> um, so, back to, back to kind of the point of all of this, is Jesus is showing us that we have to be willing to love even the unlovable, Right? We have to be willing to love those people who disagree with us, who may even be hunting us down to kill us, right? I think some of the problems we may deal with in our society are a little less than where I was in the Middle East, but we have a lot of, of polarization around politics. We have a lot of polarization around political issues, and what we can do is find ourselves on one side or the other shooting arrows at the other side, right? And being all happy and, and loving the people on this side, but, but not doing that for the other side, and what Christ is telling us is we have, to, we have to find a place where we can have grace and mercy and understanding for both sides. That's, that's the posture of our Savior here. And it's not an easy thing. I certainly haven't figured it out. Um, so I want to talk about, a little bit about a, a peacemaker who I met on my trip um, uh, he's, a, he's a Palestinian Christian, and he runs an organization called the Holy Land Trust, and he lives in Bethlehem in the West Bank. And we met with him and just kind of heard his story and heard about some work that he's doing. But he said the question that, that drives him every single day is, is this, what does it mean when Jesus calls his followers to love their enemies? And he's in a place where enemies are very clear cut. I mean, we, to go from... Jerusalem to Bethlehem, we had to go through two security checkpoints. We had to pass signs that said, you should turn around and go back because you're probably going to die, is basically what they said. And that's just a fear tactic, right? Um, and, and big, you know, concrete walls, uh, just to go from really what are, are neighboring towns. Um, and, and so we're meeting with this, with this man, and he's talking about learning to love enemies, and he says the first way to love someone is to know who they are, where they come from, and what they come from. And then with that, we have to seek to understand. So he told a story about his process of learning to understand his enemy, which as a Palestinian, as a Palestinian Christian, his biggest enemy was the, the state of Israel. The, the, the Jewish people were his enemy, and he was trying to understand them. So he went on a trip to Germany and visited Auschwitz and, and was, was learning about the Holocaust. And, and while there, <clears throat> he was there, you know, on purpose at this time, but um, what, what the Israeli people will do is when their kids are around 15, 16 years old, they take them there on a pilgrimage and they show them the atrocities of the Holocaust and they say, look what the Nazis did to us. And then, and then as they go through this process, the teaching moment is the Muslims and the Palestinians are ready to do this to us as well as soon as we let our guard down. And that's what they're being taught, 
right, from a, from a very impressionable age. And then a, about a year from then, they enter the Israeli Defense Force. And even that is set up as, hey, we're just defending ourselves, okay? We're not the aggressor here. We're just defending ourselves. We're the victim. And so <clears throat> Sammy, who's this guy's name, uh, he learned a lot from that, right? And he began to be able to see his enemy in a different light. Because, I mean, can you imagine being a teenage kid and that's, that's what you're brought up into? Well, you're going to be afraid. You're going to be angry. You're going to hate the other side, right? And so he began to see things in a new light. Um, and, and that's necessary. We have to see and understand our enemy. That doesn't mean we have to agree with our enemy or condone what our enemy does. But we have to see, we have to know, we have to understand, and we have to learn to love so we kind of exist as Christians, as peacemakers, as agents of the gospel, we exist in this weird tension. Um, <clears throat> and I think as peacemakers, we have to be willing to uncomfortably go in both directions, right? So we have to, maybe, maybe this side is a little more than we can handle, but we have to go that direction and seek to understand and learn. And then we have to go in the opposite direction as well and seek to understand and learn and the job of a peacemaker is to, is to bring adversaries together, to reconcile adversaries. Um, and, and that's the posture of our Savior, of our rabbi. So this morning, I just want us to take a second and think. And, you know, we, we need to begin to ask ourselves that question what does it mean when Jesus calls his followers to love their enemies? So who has hurt you? You know, I'm sure we all know someone who's hurt us. Or maybe there's a whole group of people who we disagree with. Uh, maybe there's a whole school of thought that we just think is ignorant and, and divisive and, and terrible. How do we still care for others who hurt us? How do we still care for others who we disagree with? Because Christ doesn't say, love one another, except for the really, really awful ones, right? <clears throat> Generosity, posture, being a peacemaker in the midst of war. It's somewhere along the way, and maybe it's just always been like this, but we've forgotten how to battle well. We, we draw these hard lines and we can't, it, you know, we, we don't even listen to the other side at times, right? And if all we're hearing is one side, it's just Jason taught it a few weeks ago. When we, when we break away from tradition, from the religious establishment, and we say, we don't agree with that, we, this is who we are, over time, we push everything else out and we become that same establishment, right? We perpetuate the same sort of small thinking, I believe is what Jason said, that that, that we were reacting against to begin with. So how do we find that balance? <clears throat> how do we care for people who we disagree with? I, I think that there's a place for justice, and we all need to be justice seekers, but we have to be careful that that seeking of justice doesn't breed injustice in its wake. There's a balance between peace and justice that we have to find. And I think a big part of this is self-awareness. We have to be aware of what's happening within ourselves 
And then we have to work to become aware of what's happening in others, in others who we love and others who we don't love, but we know we're supposed to. This gives us access to choice rather than reaction. And another key is just presence, meeting and knowing someone from the other side. They're more than just a prototype of what you've heard. A good peacemaker has to be able to make this move in both directions. So I, before this trip, I had really no strong feelings about, say, refugees. I knew in my head, I knew that's an awful thing for people to have to leave their land and be in a new place. But I don't know that I had a burden on my heart about it, even though it, hit, it happens so close to home here, right? But my presence in the home of Syrian and Iraqi families and just seeing that they're, they're people, they're really not much different than my family other than the circumstances that they're coming from. Beautiful children and, and moms who all they want, you ask them what their hope for the future is, they don't care about themselves at all. All they want is a future for their kids. And a dad who comes in after working a 16-hour day and you can just see he's really tired, but he's really proud of his family, right? That's, I, I didn't see Syrian refugees that way until I was present among them, right? So we have to figure out how to ride this tension. Um, even, even thinking about, specifically about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You know, they're trying to find a political solution and this and that and the other, and but Christ, I don't think, is interested in finding a political solution. And, and this is actually words from the man who I met with. He says it's about how we heal and give voice and uplift those in the community. And they become the voice and they build relationships. And everyone is invited to the table. Everybody is welcome. That's what Jesus did. Those are his words. So, to close up, back to John 13. Towards the end, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, that's our challenge. Sounds really easy, right? It's <laughs> um, unfortunately, every single person is included in one another. So we've got to figure out how to love one another. And, and we, we, we see the example with our Savior. We see the posture that he took even in the presence of enemies. So that's our challenge. That's our challenge today. Let me pray, and then we will uh, take communion and continue in worship.